right. You ever feel like sometimes you're just alone in this thing called the Christian faith? You just kind of have to struggle through every day, and and it can be hard to get through or hard to overcome some things that life kind of throw at us. You know, we want and belong for God's glory to be in our life. And so let's talk about life in this world and life with God in this world. Amen? All right. We're in our last part of uh, Overlook Lessons from the book of Revelation. So turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going from the end to the beginning again. So back to chapter 3. Find verse 14 when you get there. Today we're talking about persevering. Chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen. I like that, don't you? Amen, the, I agree. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, Pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear to let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we humbly come before you. We're your, we're your people, and we seek, Father, to hear your voice today. We seek, Father, for your glory to be manifested or shown in our lives, to be expressed by our lives and our walk with you. Father, we just pray today that you would just come and bless us. Father, we desperately do need you. We need you every day, not just right now in this moment, but when we walk out of this building, when we go about our life tomorrow and the next day and so on, Father, we need you to be with us. We need your glory to shine into our lives, to give us hope, to give us strength, to give us faith, to give us the ability to hear you speaking to each and every one of us. Father, I just thank you for allowing me to be your servant, and I pray that you will take whatever I have to say today, Lord, use it for your glory. Speak to somebody's heart today, Lord. Someone here needs to hear these words to hear from you specifically, Father, about their own walk. And Lord, today, if there's someone here that doesn't know you yet, but has been drawn to you by, by, your, by your spirit, and drawn to Christ by your, your own self, we pray, Father, you would do that work today in their hearts and bring them to salvation in Christ. Father, thank you for bringing us all together today, Lord. I pray you'd be blessed, and we would be humbled for you to be blessed. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There's a belief in the church today that if we just accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, uh, God will ensure that we're safe, that we're happy, and that we're comfortable. And, and that's the way life is for most Christians in America today. We're safe, we're, we're happy, and we're comfortable. And we don't need a whole lot more from God other than that. That kind of thinking has come about for several different reasons. Some pastors teach that idea that if we just do that, uh, that God will take care of all of our needs and we'll be just fine. They do that to draw more people to church because more people in church means more money. There's also this other idea that we have here in America that's very specific to our way of thinking as Christians in America, and that is that we have the Declaration of Independence. It says it guarantees us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we look to our government. We look to the Constitution. It says we have the right to freedom of speech, right to freedom of religion, 
right to assembly. Those things we all covet and we love, right? Amen. As Americans, we are incredibly blessed to have that. But that makes more people depend on the government more often than they do on God. It makes people turn to the government for to right their wrongs instead of looking to God to have faith that he'll take care of us if we suffer because we believe in Jesus. And let's be honest, no one likes to suffer, right? I don't like to suffer. I don't ever want to suffer, but we do in this world. And there are many Christians around the world suffering for Christ right now today. They're just not here in America for the most part. And we've talked about some of that. So if we have the Declaration of Independence, we have the U.S. Constitution and the First Amendment on our side, what do Christians have, have to worry about? Well, I believe our biggest worry in America today is temptation. I believe we're, we should be more concerned about temptation at this moment than maybe persecution because temptation will come to you no matter where you're at. doesn't matter where you go on vacation or for work or, or whatever. Temptation will come there and find you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you what is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. But here's the catch. You've got to be paying attention to what God is pointing you to to escape that temptation. You've got to be prepared for that doorway that he gives you. Because if you're not prepared, you're not going to see the doorway or the window or that escape. And Christians in America, we should also prepare for persecution because I believe persecution is going to come someday to America. So we've got to prepare for temptation because it's all around us. And let's not lie about that. It is. And we should be getting ready for persecution that could come to our, our country someday. All letters, all seven letters in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, all these seven letters talk about persevering. They're all about talking about persevere, persevere, don't give up, don't quit. Also, fan the fires of your faith. Talk about that. They're written to seven specific churches that were dealing with their own unique problems, your own unique kinds of persecution and temptations during the first century. The church has not changed a whole lot as far as facing the world. We've always had to face temptation. We've always had to face persecution. This country has only been a very unique situation because this country was founded on freedom of religion. I believe we can find examples of every seven of these seven churches, not only just around the world, but also here in America today. So we're going to look at the seventh. This is, we're looking at the seventh letter in the seventh church, because the, the church at Laodicea is a lot like the church in America, I believe. But I can find aspects of the American church in all seven letters. But I focus really on the church of Laodicea. The point of this letter is to persevere in the face of temptation and persecution. Uh, not to become passive. Don't be passive or apathetic about your relationship with God. Oh, You've got to feed that fire to keep it going. Point number one on your outline this morning. If you have your outline ready, it's on the back of your bulletin. Point number one, to persevere, we must be passionate about our faith. Each and every one of us, for the church to persevere, for you and I to persevere, we have to be passionate about our faith. Look at verse 14 with me again. Jesus says to John, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Let me ask you, what do you want from the Christian faith? What do you want from your faith in Jesus Christ? 
We should all ask ourselves those kind of questions every now and then. We should all ask those questions because if we ask those kind of questions of ourselves, we might just go and try and seek out the answer. Amen? They might lead us to want to go and look, what do I really want as a Christian? What do I want in my relationship with God? Jesus said, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will open. We need to maybe not start seeking, knocking, asking God, what, is it, what should I have? What should I want? What, what do I need, God? What do I really need beyond my, that I don't see? You know how a person becomes lukewarm in their faith? It's really easy. It's very, very easy. They stop asking themselves the hard questions. They stop seeking the answers to the hard questions about life and about the Christian faith. They stop pursuing God, really. Now, we say we do. We read a devotional. We listen to Christian music on the radio. We show up on Sunday, you know, pretty regular. We throw some money in the offering plate. Brother Gary says, can you help mow? I'll go mow once in a while, something like that. But are we pursuing God? See, mowing grass is good. I'm glad people do that. I'm, I do that. I'm glad that you'll help. I'm, I'm hoping you'll help this summer. Um, but mowing grass really is not about pursuing God. It's about making the grass shorter, to be honest. Are you pursuing God? That's a great question. People begin to think that the profession of faith is all that's necessary for the relationship with God today. Have we taught other people that? I don't know. I've been asking myself that question. They took a step, they stepped out somewhere, somehow, someplace, they took a step, said a prayer, and that's great. But Jesus said, come follow me. Following me is not just taking a step, it's taking multiple steps, right? It's doing what God created you to do. It's following him. Now I realize, because you and I, we face a lot of the same things in life. I realize our culture does everything it can to discourage us from pursuing God. It doesn't want us to pursue God. Our culture strives every day. When I say strive, I mean really works hard at it. Strives to tempt people away from seeking God. So we have to stay passionate about our faith in God and in Jesus Christ. What does passionate mean? Passionate means very simply is to have a strong feeling about something. To have a very strong feeling about something. It means being intense towards something that you believe is important. But passion doesn't always recognize what's truly important, does it? No. How many of you watched the NCAA men's basketball tournament? Anybody? I did. How many? Come on, be honest. Your team didn't make it very far. And if you're in Lawrence, your team didn't make it very far. It's okay. It's all right. I watched some of that too. I watched a lot of it. Not, not, not all of it, but quite a bit. One of the things I noticed was the crowds at the games. Did you watch that? How many of you like to watch people? I love to watch people when they go through life and do it. It's kind of fun. Man, those people were passionate about their teams, weren't they? They were jumping up and down. They were painting stuff on their faces. They were getting all the people in Lubbock, Texas, which almost burned the town down. You know? And, and the more, the closer their team got to the championship game, the more, more and more passionate they got. And I wonder, and I begin to wonder in my mind, do those people feel passionate about God? Do they feel passionate about their local church? Do they feel passionate about seeing other people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? And do we feel passionate about those things as well? I wondered about that. Because they were going crazy at those games. They were jumping up and down and shouting and all kinds of things. And I wonder, 
Jesus told John to tell the church in Laodicea, verse 16, look at it, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What did he mean by that? That sounds harsh, doesn't it? We're talking about tough love here. Jesus has given us some tough love. He meant they'd lost their passion for their faith. And so did some of those other churches. Listen, Jesus told the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 4, you've forsaken your first love. He told the church at Smyrna in chapter 2, verse 10, be faithful even to the point of death. They're thinking about maybe giving up. I don't know. He told the church of Pergamon, repent. They had given up. Told the church of Thyatira in chapter 2, verse 25, hold on to what you have until I come. They were weakening. And he's trying to strengthen them. He told the church at Sardis in chapter 3, verse 2, wake up. They'd fallen asleep in their faith. Jesus told the church of Philadelphia in chapter 3.11, hold on to what you have. Hold on. Just hold on. Trying to encourage them. I believe these warnings of the, to those seven churches are relevant to the church in America today. Maybe even to us in some ways. And more so than ever before, I think. To the church in America. Galatians 6 verse 9. Listen, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul says, look, don't give up your faith. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't coast. Stoke the fire of your faith. Build it. To persevere, we must be passionate about our faith above all things. Because I'll tell you what, faith in Christ, faith in God, believing in Him, believing in God, that is the most important thing that we can ever do. It's the most important thing. It's more important than getting married, than having children, having grandchildren, than having than anything, than, than coming up with the greatest invention of all time. Uh, it doesn't matter. Believing in Christ and in God, we've got to persevere through that. And we've got to be passionate. Number two, to persevere, we must be passionate about Jesus. We've got to be passionate about this man that we follow. Look at verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have required wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We're Christians because, why? We're Christians because, because of what? Trusting in Christ? His death and resurrection? Because we follow Christ. We follow Christ. Mormons believe in Christ, but I'm not sure they follow the true Christ. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure they don't. But that's a different topic of a, situ of a sermon. We're Christians because we're to follow Christ. Not simply believe, not simply trust, but to follow. Verse 17 is tough language. It's tough love. Jesus kind of treating us a little bit like teenagers who don't want to listen. We think we've got it all together, Right? That we're doing great, but then the light of Christ shines down on us in our lives, and we realize there for a moment we we don't have it all together. We're not what we thought we were. I hope you've noticed from studying these overlooked lessons in Revelation that that age is never mentioned. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the Bible very seldom, sometimes it does, but not very often, mentions an age. And it's not about being too young or too old. It's about being passionate for Jesus. That's what it's all about. God doesn't care if you're 18 or 88. A lot of people rely on money, especially in our culture, because our culture is built around money. Our economy is built on having money. 
So a lot of people rely on money rather than relying on the one who gives them the money or helps them to get it. And by the way, anything that you have that you can gather in this life, in this world, you can lose it in an instant. Just ask the IRS. Just don't make, don't make your payment on April 16th to see what the IRS says. They'll take whatever they can to get what they want from you. So you can, you can have all of it, but you can also lose it all. And then Jesus says in verse 18, look at 18 with me. He says, I counsel you. He's advising. He's, hey, hey, listen, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I like this. This is tough love, but he's saying, look, I'm not giving up on you. I have something for you, and I want you to have it. These are things we can't get on our own, things we, we have to go to Jesus to get from, get him, get these things from him. Jesus talked about gold refined in the fire. God told Moses there were some things that had to be cleansed or purified by fire only. In Numbers 31, 21, this is the requirement of the law that the Lord gave Moses gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, lead, and anything else that can withstand fire must be put through the fire, and then it'll be clean. So Jesus is telling the church, look, you need to come to me to get the gold to buy your things that you need in life. He told the church, buy gold from him because it's the right kind of well. And it's true. Whatever God gives us, whatever Jesus gives us, is the right kind. Isn't that true? And white clothes for righteousness. We cannot earn enough good deeds to clothe ourselves in righteousness. We have to get that from Jesus. And he says, sad for your eyes. Jesus said, if you can't see, he wants to help you to see. Wow. The Christians at Laodicea had gotten everything on their own efforts. They'd earned it. They'd worked for it. It was theirs. They had gathered it. But in the process, they'd lost their passion for Jesus. I think the church in America might be right there. We've really got it good in America. But listen to this. When we stop trusting in Jesus for what we need, we'll lose our passion for him every time. When we stop looking to God, we're going to lose our passion for him every time. doesn't matter. How do we persevere as Jesus followers? How do we do that? How do we do that by being passionate about him, the man? Being passionate about living for Jesus the way he wants us to live, to live as his people, not as our own. In Colossians chapter 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, live in you richly, abide in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, with gratitude in your hearts for God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, living for him, really, truly living for him. That means taking more steps. That means going further down the road. To persevere, number three, we must respond to Jesus when he speaks. Following Jesus means we listen to him and go where he says to go. Look at verse 19. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Man, this, you know what verse 19 tells me? It sounds harsh, but it says, tells me there's always hope. There's always hope. He doesn't give up on us even when we mess up. He won't quit on us. Jesus won't do that. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Do you understand why he rebukes and disciplines? His followers, do you understand that? Because he loves us, exactly right. 
He loves us. He says so at the beginning of verse 19. And because he wants us to persevere, he wants to be with us. He speaks to us from God's word, the Bible, and he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows that we all face temptation every day. He knows that. So did he. Jesus knows that his people face persecution in this world, in this life. So did he. But he persevered and he fulfilled his Father's will. Throughout history, for 2,000 years, Jesus has been known for his passion. Did you realize that? He's been known for his passion. What was his passion? His passion was to do the work the work that his father had sent him to do so that people everywhere could hear his story, know his name, and experience his love. We're going to celebrate his passion next week. Friday night, 6.30, right here, we're going to have Good Friday service. We're going to have Lord's Supper together. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll bring friends with you. And then next Sunday, we'll have sunrise service, and then we'll have 1045 service as well. But we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because why? He's risen. Yeah. And that's what the church should be doing on that day is coming together and celebrating with great joy and great blessing in our hearts because of his risen, his resurrection. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. You know, if you're a follower of Christ today, you're a sheep. And you need a shepherd. Today, tomorrow, the next day, and so on. Then he says here in verse 20, he says, here I am. Right now, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. This is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. I love this verse. It's been used in several different ways. One way is it used to help unbelievers realize that Jesus is waiting for them to let him into their lives. I believe that's true. He says, uh, if anyone hears my voice. So that's believers, unbelievers. So an unbeliever hears this and they should listen for Christ calling them to salvation. But it also depicts Jesus outside his church at the door, standing, waiting to, to be let in. And he promised if the church will simply let him in, will invite him in, he will give us everything that we need to persevere through every temptation and every persecution. Yeah. How many churches today have locked Jesus out, either through apathy or through neglect or through apostasy, maybe walking away from the true faith? They've lost their passion for him. How many have done that and are struggling? How many Christians no longer listen for the voice of Jesus calling to them? Or how many of us aren't hearing the Holy Spirit speak as well? In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. If we'll listen to Jesus, he'll, he'll tell us what to do, and it'll be all right. And I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. We all need Jesus, but we also all need the Holy Spirit. It's true. Point number four, to persevere, Jesus said, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. How many of you want to overcome in this world? Amen? Yeah, how many want to go all the way through life as a follower of Christ and get to the end and still be a good, strong follower of Christ? I think we all do. 
Yeah. Well, you better start listening to the Holy Spirit. And you better keep on listening to the Holy Spirit. And listening and listening and, and heeding. He promised, Jesus promised, if we persevered in our faith in him, he'll make room for us at his Father's throne. We'll be able to gather around the throne with him. He'll give us eternal rest from temptation and persecution. But it also means we will finally know what belonging to God really is and what it really, really means. We'll know, we know what that means in a limited sense now. We know what that means to belong to God. But when we get to heaven, when we get in his presence, we're not going to know anything but him forever. And so for that to happen, Jesus said, listen to the Holy Spirit and listen and keep on listening. He says in verse 22, he who has an ear, how many got an ear this morning? Everybody got an ear? Right. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is a very simple statement. It's easy to understand. Jesus said, stop, take time to listen to God. We all need to take time and listen to God. And let God speak. Just sit quietly with his word and just let God speak. That's not always easy because the world has all these things that bombards us with, these thoughts and ideas. The work day ahead or whatever we got, we're facing that day. We got to push everything out and let our worship this be between him and us. Praise him. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is sent to the church as much as to individual Christians because the church must also listen to the Holy Spirit for guidance in this life as well. Churches need to hear the Holy Spirit leading us. Churches need to hear the Holy Spirit saying, do this. Worship here. Sing these songs. Pray this way. Did you know that the world is against the church when it's most passionate for Jesus? So the more passionate we become for Jesus, the more the world is going to turn against us. This statement in verse 22, he who has an ear, Jesus said that in every letter to all seven churches. So he says it to the church worldwide. He says it to all of us. Each of the seven churches were dealing with their own unique problems, their own unique issues, but they all had the same Savior and the same Spirit. Same message. And the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to them, speak to them about their problems. And this is true for the church today. We have to desperately seek out God's leading. Jesus calls us to regain our passion for, for our faith in Christ, for our Christian faith in God, and to persevere in spite of what this world does and says. When Christians stop listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the church always suffers. The church is the, is the Christians together. So if we stop listening to God, listening to the Spirit, the church will suffer. It will struggle. We're saved by faith. That's true. We're saved by faith and grace, but we're called to listen. And we're called to do what the Spirit calls us to do. In James chapter 1, verse 22 is a great warning in the Bible. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking in, at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So see, we just can't hear, merely listen. We also got to do what we're told by God. The Savior is waiting. That's our song today for as we get ready to close out. Maybe today God's speaking to you about joining the church. Maybe he's speaking to you about your walk with, with him. That you Maybe you need to rededicate your life today. I don't know. 
Maybe you need to come to Saving Faith today. Maybe you need to come up and pray with me or, or, or ladies. You can pray, come and pray with Anna. Or you just want to come up and pray. It doesn't matter. Let's stand. The Savior's waiting. Join me in prayer. Father,